Hello, this is Anna. Obviously, I don't really know what I thought later, but anyway, reading you red, white, and royal blue, and also Doris right now because she is here. She's mostly asleep. If you hear any weird noises, it's probably her because she's a bit snuffly. And there's also music, but I don't know if you can hear that. But you might be able to a little bit. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, cool. Chapter one. On the White House roof, tucked into a corner of the promenade, there's a bit of loose panelling right on the edge of the solarium. If you tap it just right, you can peel it back enough to find a message or something, with the tip of a key or maybe a stolen West Wing letter opener. In the secret history of first families, an insular gossip mill sworn to absolute discretion about most things on pain of death, there's no definite answer for who wrote it. The one thing people seem certain of is that only a presidential son or daughter would have been daring enough to deface the White House. Some swear it was Jack Ford with his Hendrix records and split-level room attached to the roof for late-night smoke breaks. Others say it was a young Lucy Johnson, thick ribbon in her hair. But it doesn't matter. The writing stays a private mantra for those resourceful enough to find it. Alex discovered it within his first week of living here. He's never told anyone how. It says, rule number one, don't get caught. The east and west bedrooms on the second floor are generally reserved for the first family. They were first designated as one giant state bedroom for visits from Marquis de Lafayette and the Monroe administration. But eventually they were split. Alex has the east, across from the treaty room, and June uses the west, next to the elevator. Growing up in Texas, their rooms were arranged in the same configuration, on either side of the hallway. Back then, you could tell June's ambition of the month by what coloured the walls. At 12, it was watercolour paintings. At 15, lunar calendars and charts of crystals. At 16, clippings from the Atlantic, a UT Austin pennant, Gloria Steinem, Zora Neale Hurston, and excerpts from papers of Dolores Huerta. <clears throat> His own room was forever the same, just steadily more stuff with lacrosse trophies and piles of AP coursework. It's all gathering dust in the house they still keep back home. On a chain around his neck, always hidden from view, he's worn the key to that house since the day he left DC. Now, straight across the hall, June's room is all bright white and soft pink and minty green. Photographed by Vogue and famously inspired by old 60s interior design periodicals she found in one of the White House sitting rooms. His own room was once Caroline Kennedy's nursery and, lame tough, warranting some sage burning from June, Nancy Reagan's office. He's left up the nature field illustrations and in a neat symmetrical grid above the sofa, but painted over Sasha Obama's pink walls and with a deep blue. Typically, the children of, pres of the president, at least for the past few decades, haven't lived in the residence beyond 18. But Alex started at Georgetown in January. His mum was sworn in. The January his mum was sworn in. And logistically, it made more sense not to split the se security or cost to whatever one-bedroom apartment he'd be living in. June came that fall, fresh out of UT. She's never said it, but Alex knows she moved in to keep an eye on him. She knows better than anyone else how much he gets off on being this close to the action. And she's bodily yanked him out of the West Wing on more than one occasion. Behind his bedroom door, he can sit and put hauler notes on the record player in the corner. And nobody hears him humming along to it like his dad to Rich Girl. He can wear the reading glasses he always insists he doesn't need. He can make as many meticulous study guides of colour-coded sticky notes as he wants. He's not going to be the youngest elected congressman in modern history without earning it but nobody needs to know how hard he's kicking underwater. His sex single stock would plummet. Hey, says a voice at the door, and he looks up from his laptop to see June edging into his room. Two iPhones and a stack of magazines tucked under one arm and a plate in her hand. She 
Close the door behind her with her, with her foot. What did you steal today? Alex asks, pushing the pile of paper papers on his bed out of the way. Assorted donuts, Jude says as she climbs up. She's wearing a pencil skirt of pointy pink flats, and you can already see next week's fashion columns. A picture of her outfit today, a lead-in for some spawn corner about flats for the professional gal on the go. He wonders what she's been up to all day. She mentioned a column for WAPO, or was it a photo shoot for her blog, or both. He can never keep up. She's dumped her stack of magazines out on the bedspread and is already busying herself with them. Doing your part to keep the great American gossip industry alive. That's not my journalism degree's for, June says. Anything good this week? Alex asks, reaching for a donut. Let's see, June says. In touch, says I'm dating a French model. Are you? I wish. She flips a few pages. Ooh, and they're saying you got your arsehole bleached. That one is true, Alex says to the mouth of chocolate with sprinkles. I thought so, June says without looking up. After rifling through most of the magazines, she shuffles. Shuffles it to the bottom of her stack and moves on to people. She flips through absently. People only ever write what their publicists tell it to write. Boring. Not much mess to speak. Oh, I'm a crossword puzzle clue. Following their tabloid coverage is something of an idle hobby of hers. One that in turn amuses and annoys their mother. And Alex is narcissistic enough to let June read him the highlights. They're usually either complete fabrications or lines fed from people on their press team. But sometimes it's just funny. Given the choice, he'd rather read one of the hundreds of glowing pieces of fan fiction about him on the internet. The up to 11 versions of himself with devastating charm and unbelievable physical stamina. But June flat out refuses to read those aloud to him, no matter how many, ta- how many times he tries to bribe her. Do US Weekly, Alex says. Hmm. June digs it out of the stack. Oh, look, we made the cover this week. She flashes the, she flashes the glossy cover at him, which has a photo of the both of them inlaid in one corner. June's hair pinned on top of her head and Alex looking slightly overserved, but still handsome, all jawline and dark curls. Below it in bold yellow letters, the headline reads, First Siblings Wild NYC Night. Oh yeah, that was a wild night, Alex says, reclining back against the tall leather headboard and pushing his glasses up his nose. Two whole keynote speakers. Nothing sexier than shrimp cocktails and an hour and a half of speeches on carbon emissions. It says here you had some sort of tryst with a mystery brunette, June reads. But the first daughter was whisked off by a limousine to a star-studded party shortly after the gala. 21-year-old Hartford Alex was snapped, sneaking into the W Hotel to meet a mystery brunette in the presidential suite and leaving around 4am. Sources inside the hotel reported hearing amorous noises from the room all night. And rumours are swirling that the brunette was never known, none other than Nora Holleran the 22-year-old granddaughter of Vice President Mike Holleran and the third member of the White House trio. Could it be the two are rekindling their romance? Yes, Alex crows, and June groans. That's less than a month. You owe me $50, baby. Hold on, was it Nora? Alex thinks back to the week before, showing up at Nora's room with a bottle of champagne. Their thing on the campaign trial trail a million months ago was a brief, most was brief, mostly to get the inevitable over, huh? mostly to get the inevitable over with. They were seventeen and eighteen and doomed from the start, both convinced they were the smartest person in any room. Alex has since conceded Nora is a hundred percent smarter than him and definitely too smart to have ever dated him. It's not his fault the press won't let it go though. That they love the I that they love the idea of them together as if they're modern day Ken- Kennedys. 
So if he and Nora occasionally get drunk in hotel rooms together, I can't read. In hotel rooms together, watching the West Wing and make loud moaning noises all the way at the wall for the benefit of the nosy tabloids, he can't be blamed, really. They're simply turning an undesirable situation on their, into their own personal entertainment. Scamming his sister is also a perk. Maybe, he says, dragging out the vowels. June swaps one of the magazine, like he's an especially obnoxious cockroach. That's cheating, you dick. Bet's a bet, Alex tells her. We said if there was an, a new rumour in the month, you'd owe me 50 bucks. I take them, though. I'm not paying, June huffs. I'm going to kill her when we see her tomorrow. What are you wearing, by the way? For what? The wedding. Whose wedding? Uh, the royal wedding, June says. Of England? It's literally on every cover I just showed you. She holds US Weekly up again. And this time Alex notices the main story in giant letters. Prince Philip says I do. Along with a photograph and an extremely nondescript British hair. And his equally nondescript blonde fiancé smiling blandly. He drops his donut and show of devastation. That's this weekend? Alex, we leave in the morning, June tells him. We've got two appearances before we even go to the ceremony. I can't believe Zara hasn't climbed up your ass about this already. Shit, he grins. I know I had that written down. I got sidetracked. What, by conspiring with my best friend against me in the tabloids for $50? No, with my research paper, smart ass. Alex says, gesturing dramatically at his pile of notes. I've been working on it for Roman political thought all week. And I thought he agreed Nora is our best friend. That can't possibly be a real, be a real class you're taking, June says. Is it possible you willfully forgot about the biggest inter- international event of the year because you don't want to see your arch nemesis? June, I'm the son of the President of the United States. Prince Henry is a figurehead of the British Empire. You can't just call him my arch nemesis, Alex says. He returns to his donut chain thoughtfully and adds, Arch nemesis implies he is actually a rival to me on any level and not, you know... A stuck-up product of inbreeding who probably jerks off the photos of himself. Woof. It's just, I'm just saying. Well, you don't have to like him. You just have to put on a happy face and not cause an international incident at his brother's wedding. Bug, when do I ever not put on a happy face? Alex says. He pulls a painfully fake grin and June looks satisfyingly repulsed. Ugh, anyway, you know what you're wearing, right? Yeah, I picked it out and had Zara approve it last month. I'm not an animal. I'm still not sure about my dress, June says. She leaves over and st- she leans over and steals his laptop away from him, ignoring his noise of protest. Do you think the maroon or the white one with the lace? Lace, obviously, it's England. And why are you trying to make me fail this class? He says, reaching for his laptop, only to have his hands sweated away. Go curate your Instagram or something. You're the worst. Shut up. I'm trying to pick something to watch. Ooh, you have Garden State on your watch list? Well, how's film school in 2005 going? I hate you. Hmm. I know. Outside his window, the wind stirs up over the lawn, rustling the linden trees down in the garden. They, re- they record on the record on the turntable in the corner is spun into fuzzy silence. He rolls for bed and flips it, reset the needle, and the seconds I picks up on London stuck. If he's honest, private aviation doesn't really get old. Not even three years into his mother's term. He doesn't get to travel this way a lot, but when he does, it's hard not to let it get to his head. He was born in the hill country of Texas to the daughter of a single mother and the son of a Mexican immigrant. All of them dirt poor. Luxury travel is still a luxury. Fifteen years ago, when his mother first ran for the house, the Austin newspapers gave her a a nickname, the Lametta Longshot. 
She'd escaped her tiny hometown in the, sh the shadow of Fort Hood, called night shift at diners to put herself through law school, and was arguing discrimination cases before the Supreme Court by 30. She was the last thing anybody expected to rise up out of Texas in the middle of the, the Iraq War. Strawberry blonde, whip-smart Democrat with high heels, an unapologetic drawl, and a little biracial family. So it's still surreal that Alex is cruising somewhere over the Atlantic, snacking on pistachios in high-back leather chairs, with his feet up. Nora is bent over a New York Times crossword, opposite him. Brown calls falling across her forehead. Beside her, the hulking Secret Service agent Cassius, Cash for short, holds his own copy in one hand. They racing to finish it first. The cursor on Alex's Roman political thought paper is blinked expectantly at him from his laptop, but something in him can't quite focus on school while they're flying transatlantic. Amy, his mother's favourite Secret Service agent, a former Navy SEAL who is rumoured around DC to have killed several men, sits across the aisle. She's got a bulletproof titanium case of crafting supplies open on the couch next to her and is serenely embroidering flowers onto a napkin. Alex has seen someone's. Alex has seen her stab someone in the kneecap with a very similar embroidery needle. Which leaves June next to him, leaning on one elbow with her nose buried in the issue of people she's inexplicably, inexplicably bought with them. She always chooses the most bizarre reading material for flights. Last time it was a battered old Cantonese phrase book. Before that, death comes for the Archbishop. What are you reading in there now? Alex asks her. She flips the magazine around so he can see the double page spread title. Royal Wedding Madness. Alex groans. This is definitely worse than Willa Katia. What? She says. I want to be prepared for my first ever royal wedding. You went to prom, didn't you? Alex says. Just picture that, only in hell, and you'd have to be really nice about it. Can you believe they sent $75,000 just on the cake? That's depressing. And, apparently, Prince Henry is going sans date to the wedding, and everyone is freaking out about it. It just says he was... She affects a comical English accent, rumoured to be dating a Belgian heiress last month, but now followers of the prince's dating life aren't sure what to think. Alex snorts. It's insane to him that there are legions of people who follow the intensely dull dating lives of the royal siblings. He understands why people care where he puts his own tongue, but at least he has a personality. Maybe the female population of Europe finally realised he's as compelling as a wet ball of yarn, Alex suggests. Nora puts down her crossword puzzle, having finished it first. Cassius glances over and swears. You gonna ask him to dance then? Alex rolls his eyes, suddenly imagining a twirling around the ballroom while Henry drones sweet nothings about croquet and fox hunting in his ear. The thought makes him want to gag. In his dreams. Ah, Nora says. You're blushing. Listen, Alex tells her. Royal weddings are trash. The princes who have royal weddings are trash. The imperialism that always follows princes to exist at all is trash. It's trash turtles all the way down. Is this your TED talk? June asks. You do realise America is a genocidal empire too, right? Yes, June, but at least we have the decency not to keep a monarchy about, Alex says, throwing a pistachio at her. There are a few things about Alex and June that new White House hires are briefed on before they start June. Start June's peanut allergy, Alex's frequent middle-of-the-night requests for coffee, June's college boyfriend, who broke up with her when he moved to California, but is still the only person whose letters come to her directly. Alex's long-standing grudge against the youngest prince. It's not a grudge, really. It's not even a rivalry. It's prickling, unsettling annoyance. It makes his palms sweat. The tabloids. 
the world decided to cast Alex as the American equivalent of Prince Henry from day one. Since the White House trio is the closest thing America has to royalty, it has never seemed fair. Alex's image is all charisma and genius and smirking wit. Thoughtful interviews and the cover of GQ18. Henry's is placid smiles and gentle chivalry and generic charity appearances. A perfectly blank Prince Charming canvas. Henry's role, Alex thinks, is much easier to play. Maybe it is technically a rivalry. Whatever. All right, MIT, he says. What are the numbers on this one? Nora grins. Hmm, she pretends to think hard about it. Risk assessment, FSOTUS, failing to check himself before he wrecks himself, will almost will result in greater, greater than 500 civilian casualties. 98% probability of Prince Henry looking like a total dreamboat. 78% probability of Alex getting himself banned from the United Kingdom forever. Those are better odds than I expected, June observes. Alex laughs, and the plane soars on. London is an absolute spectacle. Crowds cramming the streets outside Buckingham Palace and all through the city, draped in Union Jacks and waving tiny flags over their heads. There are commemorative royal wedding souvenirs everywhere. Prince Philip and his bride's face plastered on everything from chocolate bars to underwear. Alex almost can't believe this many people are so passionate about something so comprehensively dull. He's sure there won't be this kind of turnout in front of the White House when he or June gets married one day, nor would he even want it. The ceremony itself seems to last forever, but it's at least sort of nice, in a way. It's not that Alex isn't into love or can't appreciate marriage, it's just that Martha is a perfectly respectable daughter of nobility, and Philip is a prince. It's as sexy as a business transaction. There's no passion, no drama. Alex's kind of love story is much more Shakespearean. It feels like years before he settled at a table between June and Nora inside a Buckingham Palace ballroom for the reception banquet, and he's irritated enough to be a little reckless. Nora passes him a flute of champagne and he takes it gladly. Do either of you know what a, dip- a v- viscount is? June says, halfway through a cucumber sandwich. I've met, like, five of them, and I keep smiling politely as if I know what it means when they say it. Alex, you took comparative international government, governmental relations things, whatever. What are they? I think it's that thing when a vampire creates an army of crazed sex waifs and starts his own ruling body, he says. That sounds right, Nora says. She's folding her napkin into a complicated shape on the table, her shiny black manicure glinting in the chandelier light. I wish I were a viscount, June says. I could have my sex waif steal with my emails. A sex waif good with professional correspondence, Alex asks. Nora's napkin has begun to resemble a bird. I think it could be an interesting approach. Their emails would be all tragic and wanton. She tries on a breathless husky voice. Oh, please, I beg you, take me. Take me to lunch and to discuss fabric samples, you beast. Could be weirdly effective, Alex notes. Something is wrong with both of you, June says gently. Alex is opening his mouth to retort when a royal attendant attendant materialises at a table like a dense and dour-looking ghost in a bad hairpiece. Miss Claremont Diaz, says the man, who looks like his name is probably Reginald or Bartholomew or something. He bows and miraculously his hairpiece doesn't fall off into June's plate. Alex shares an incredulous glance of her best friend behind his back. His Royal, Hi- his Royal Highness Prince Henry wonders if you would do him the honour of accompanying him for a dance. June's mouth freezes halfway open. Caught in a soft, soft vowel sound and Nora breaks into a shit-eating grin. Oh, she'd love to, Nora volunteers. She's been hoping he'd ask all evening. I... June starts and stops, her mouth smiling even as her eyes slice at Nora. Of course, that would be lovely. 
Excellent, Reginald Bartholomew says. And he turns and gestures over his shoulder. And there Henry is, in the flesh, as classically handsome as ever in his tailored three-piece suit, all two-sword sandy hair and high cheekbones and a soft, friendly mouth. He holds himself with innately impeccable posture, as if he emerged fully formed and upright out of some beautiful Buckingham Palace posy garden one day. His eyes lock on Alex's, and something like annoyance or adrenaline spikes in Alex's chest. He hasn't had a conversation with Henry in probably a year. His face is still infuriatingly symmetrical. Alex deigns to give him a perfunctory nod, as if he's any other random guest, not the person he beat to a Vogue editorial debut in their teens. Alex blinks, seethes, and watches Henry angle his stupid, chiselled jaw towards June. Hello, June, Henry says, as he extends a gentlemanly hand to June, who is now blushing. Nora pretends to swoon. Do you know how to waltz? I'm sure I could pick it up, she says, and she takes his hand cautiously, like she thinks he might be pranking her, which Alex thinks is way too generous to seem to Henry's sense of humour. Henry leads her off to the crowd of twirling nobles. So is that what's happening now, Alex says, glaring down at Nora's napkin bird. Has he decided to finally shut me up by wooing my sister? Ah, little buddy, Nora says. She reaches over and pats his hand. It's cute how you think everything is about you. It should be, honestly. That's the spirit. He glances up into the crowd where June is being rotated around the dance floor by Henry. She's got a neutral, polite smile on her face and he keeps looking over her shoulder, which is more annoying. June is amazing. The least Henry could do is pay attention to her. Do you think he actually likes her, though? Nora shrugs. Who knows? Royals are weird. Might be a courtesy or... Oh, there it is. A royal photographer has swooped in and is snapping a shot of them dancing. One Alex knows will be leaked to Hello next week. So that's it, then. Using the first door to start some idiotic dating rumour for attention. God forbid, God forbid Philip wants to dominate the news cycle for one week. He's kind of good at this, Nora remarks. Alex flags down a waiter and decides to spend the rest of the reception getting systematically drunk. Alex has never told, will never tell anyone, but he saw Henry for the first time when he was 12 years old. He only ever reflects upon it when he's drunk. He's sure he saw his face in the news before then, but that was the first time he really saw him. June had just turned 15 and used part of her birthday money to buy an issue of blindingly colourful teen magazines. Her love of trashy tabloids started early. In the centre of the magazine were miniature posters you could rip out and stick up on in your locker. If you were careful and pried up the staples with your fingernails, you could get them out without tearing them. One of them, right in the middle, was a picture of a boy. He had thick, tawny hair and big blue eyes, a warm smile and a cricket bat over one shoulder. It must have been a candid, because there was a happy, sunbright confidence to him that couldn't be posed. On the bottom corner of the page, in pink and blue letters, Prince Henry. Alex still doesn't really know what kept drawing him back only that he would sneak into June's room and find the page and touch his fingertips to the boy's hair, as if he could somehow feel its texture, if he imagined it hard enough. The more his parents climbed the political ranks, the more he started to reckon with the fact that soon the world would know who he was. Then, sometimes, he'd think of the picture and try try to harness Prince Henry's easy confidence. He also thought about prying up the staples of his fingers and taking the picture out and keeping it in his room, but he never did. His fingernails were too stubby. They weren't made for it, like June's like a girl's. But then came the first time he met Henry, the first cool detached words Henry said to him, and Alex guessed from guessed he had it all wrong. That the pretty flung open boy from the picture wasn't real. The real Henry is beautiful, distant, boring and closed. 
the, this person the tabloids keep comparing him to, whom he compares himself to, who thinks he's better than Alex and everyone likes him. Alex can't believe he ever wanted to be anything like that. Alex keeps drinking, keeps alternating between thinking about it and fo- forcing himself not to think about it. Disappears into the crime dances with pretty European heiresses about it. He's pirouetting away from one when he can catches sight of a lone figure hovering near the cake and champagne fountain. It's Prince Henry, yet again, glass in hand, watching Prince Philip and his bride spinning around the ballroom floor. He looks politely half-interested in that obnoxious way of his, like he has somewhere else to be, and Alex can't resist the urge to call his bluff. He picks his way through the crowd, grabbing a glass of wine on of a passing train, downing half of it. When you have one of these, Alex says, sidling up to him. You should do two champagne fountains instead of fountains instead of one. Really embarrassing to be a, at a wedding with only one champagne fountain. Alex, Henry says in that maddening, maddeningly posh accent. Up close, the waistcoat under his suit jacket is a lush gold and has about a million bucket, buttons on it. It's horrible. I wondered if I'd have the pleasure. Looks like it's your lucky day, Alex says, smiling. Truly a momentous occasion, Henry agrees. His own smile is bright white and immaculate, made to be printed on money. The most annoying thing of all is Alex knows Henry hates him too. He must. They're naturally mutual antagonists. But he refuses to outright act like it. Alex is intimately aware of politics and involves a lot of making nice with people you loathe. But he wishes that once, just once, Henry would act like an actual human and not some polished little wind-up toy sold in a palace gift shop. He's too perfect. Alex wants to poke it. Do you ever get tired, Alex says, of pretending you're above all this? Henry turns and stares at him. I'm sure I don't know what you mean. I mean, you're out here getting all the photographers to chase you, swanning around like you hate the attention, which you clearly don't since you're dancing with my sister of all people. Alex says, you act like you're too important to be anywhere, ever. Doesn't that get exhausting? I'm a bit more complicated than that, Henry attempts. Ha! Oh, Henry says, narrowing his eyes. You're drunk. I'm just saying, Alex says, resting an overly friendly elbow on Henry's shoulder, which isn't as easy as he'd like it to be since Henry has about four infuriating inches of height on him. You could try and act like you're having fun, occasionally. Henry laughed ruefully. I can't believe... I believe perhaps you should consider switching to water, Alex. Should I, Alex says. He pushes aside the thought that maybe the wine is what gave him the nerve to stomp over to Henry in the first place and makes his eyes as coy and angelic as he knows how. Am I offending you? Sorry I'm not obsessed with you like everyone else. I know that must be confusing for you. Do you know what, Henry says. I think you are. Alex's mouth drops open while the corner of Henry's turns smug and almost a little mean. Only a thought, Henry says, tone polite. Have you ever noticed I have never once approached you and been exhaustively civil every time we've spoken? Yet here you are, seeking me out again takes a sip of his champagne simply an observation what i'm not alex stammers you're the have lovely evening alex henry says tersely and turns to walk off it drives alex nuts that henry thinks he gets to have the last word and without thinking he reaches out and pulls henry's shoulder back and then henry turns suddenly and almost does push alex off him this time and for a brief spark of a moment alex is impressed at the glint in his eyes the abrupt burst of an actual personality The next thing he knows, he's tripping over his own foot and stumbling backwards into the table nearest to him. He notices, too late, that the table is, to his horror, the one bearing the massive eight-tier wedding cake. 
and he grabs for Henry's arms to catch himself, but all it does is throw both of them off balance and send them crashing together into the cake stand. He watches as if in slow motion as the cake leans, teeters, shudders and finally tips. There's absolutely nothing he can do to stop it. It comes crashing down onto the floor in an an avalanche of white buttercream. Some kind of sugary $75,000 nightmare. The room goes heart-stoppingly silent as the momentum carries him and Henry through the fawn down down onto the wreckage of the cake on the ornate carpet. Henry's sleeve still clutched in Alex's fist. Henry's glass of champagne is clear, spilled all over both of them and shattered, and out of the corner of his eye, Alex can see a cut across the top of Henry's cheek going beginning to bleed. For a second, all he can think as he stares up at the ceiling while covered in frosting and champagne is that at least Henry's dance with June won't be the biggest story to come out of this royal wedding. His next thought is that his mother is going to murder him in cold blood. Beside him, he hears Henry mutter slowly, Oh my fucking Christ. He registers dimly this, the first time he's ever heard the prince swear, before the flash of someone's camera goes off.